Hello and welcome to the Rio Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and Semia markets. It's Tuesday the 7th of June, I'm Richard Woolley. Coming up this week, legal reporter Connor Lovell checks in with an update on UK consumer lender Amigo. Editor Magnus Sherman is looking at three Russian tech companies that are facing particular issues at the moment. And financial analyst Jacob Parker is going to talk to me about UK carmaker McLaren. First, though, here's a report from Beatrice Mavrolian about the current deals in the European primary market. So there are some signs that the primary market is coming back to life. Automation software company Kofax launched 300 million euro and 1.025 billion dollar term loan Bs to finance its acquisition by Clearlake and TA Associates. However, the price talk, um, which is in the range of 93 to 94, still reflects a challenging market. Um, But today, Inspired Education managed to set final pricing for its 250 million term loan B add-on at the tighter end of the previous range at Eurobor plus 450, while also potentially tightening the OID to a level in the range of 97 to 97.5. We've also heard that Cogent Communications intends to launch um, $450 million of senior notes um, due in 2027 for refinancing. And um, Finnish sustainable food packaging provider Hutamaki um, has also priced, um, also recently priced 500 million um, five-year senior unsecured um, uh, notes with a 4.25% coupon. Um, and all, at the same time, French retailer Casino held a non-deal um, investor roadshow last week. And um, they uh, they have said apparently that if there's enough interest, they will aim to refinance part or all of their debt. But they didn't give any further uh, details about this. Um, meanwhile, we've also heard there, that there are a couple of pre-marketings going on, um, in particular for um, credits in the gaming space. Um, however, some of the larger deals seem to be struggling with current pricing levels. In particular, um, we've heard that raising of the um, remaining debt that's needed for UK supermarket chain Morrison's acquisition by CDNR seems to be on hold. Um, investors think that um, the banks most likely decided to keep this on their books for now, given that the um, the ratings on the loans um, are more or less decent at B1 BB minus, um, so they won't have to. The banks won't have to hold much risk capital against their exposure, and they'll just try to sell it down over time or at a later date instead instead of taking the large hit now. McLaren's senior secured notes have fallen about sixteen points since the British sports car group reported its first quarter results a couple of weeks ago. The notes are currently quoted at about eighty and yield fourteen percent. Jacob Parker is a financial analyst here in London, and he has been following this name very closely. So, Jacob, what happened? So, before McLaren uh, even announced its first quarter results, the notes were trading at about ninety-six and yielding eight percent. But I don't think you know there were. It wasn't like a, a massively topical issue, um, and on people's radar. And then they uh, suddenly dropped to around eighty. The market already knew that McLaren and the industry in general is dealing with quite severe uh, shortages and, and cost-based inflation. McLaren in particular seems to be dealing with more severe volume losses at the moment, um, which on an annualized basis are down around 50% compared to their pre-pandemic levels. 
Um, I think what shocked the market the most uh, and, and caused the, the bonds to fall so, so rapidly is the liquidity position, which as of April, uh, the company said was about 57 million. And this mostly includes undrawn amounts on the revolver. Um, and, and it's in the context of a company which has burned hundreds of millions over the last few years and is still reporting huge volume losses compared to pre-pandemic levels. It has also not been long since they refinanced the capital structure last July, which came with a sizable equity injection. Before that, they also completed a number of liquidity support transactions, including a sale and lease back of their, of their headquarters. And even just before the pandemic, the shareholders had put in hundreds of millions for investment spending. Essentially, I don't think the market was expecting the company to be in this position again so soon, though there was always a good chance liquidity would be a problem again with this company given the nature of the industry and the particularly low scale and intense capex requirements of this particular business. One thing to point out here though is that a big driver of the recent cash burn is a delay in shipping of the Arturas, which is McLaren's new hybrid supercar. Essentially, McLaren says the Artura stock had been built up uh, in advance of customer deliveries, but delays resulted in zero shipments and caused lower volumes in the first quarter. Having said that, management seemed quite confident on the call that liquidity would stabilise in the second half as uh, the vehicles were delivered. Okay, but what happens then if, if volumes don't pick up in the second half? Uh, analysts, I think, uh, questioned the group's liquidity on the, on the earnings call recently. So yeah, management took a number of questions on liquidity on the investor call, but I think the bonds trading at around 80 and not 50 says something about investors expecting sponsor support if it's required. Management said a few interesting things, though, on the call, including that the cash flows should stabilise with the delivery of the Arturas, that they have flexibility to adjust the cost base and capex um, if they need to. And they reiterated several times, I think, on the, on the call that they had the support of its shareholders, but you know they didn't necessarily say that specifically that the shareholders would inject um, cash if they needed it. They were pressed a couple of times on whether the shareholder was committed to providing additional equity, um, but simply said that they haven't had to do anything further at this point in terms of fundraising. Okay, and do we expect the sponsor to inject money here if it's required at some point? So sponsor support is one of those things that you can rarely be certain of seeing a company receive as a bond investor. And there is some chance it won't happen here either. Our view though is that the sponsors have a strong motive to support the business here for a few reasons. Firstly, we would note that they already have put in a huge amount of money. Uh, management wouldn't confirm that the sponsors would inject equity, as I said before, but seemed to make a point on the call and in the presentation that the sponsors were very supportive. We think there is also like a lot of value in this business, and it would be quite shocking if the sponsors were to walk away at this point. Um, and there's a fair argument that the liquidity need is quite limited um, in size, and the situation will improve for the company over the next year given most of the problem is driven by supply side issues, which you know, most people think of as temporary. One thing that is interesting about this type of business is that it's uh, considered a prize asset and it, it tends to attract new equity even if the business appears to generate no cash. Um, in the coming weeks though, we're going to put out some analysis discussing the situation in a bit more detail and we'll be focusing on the likelihood that sponsors will put in new money if required and in the event that they don't, what other liquidity options the company has. Great. Thanks a lot, Jacob. Pleasure. Reorg's been keeping a tracker of all of the companies that have been materially impacted by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The latest edition of the tracker is due out on Thursday this week. Ahead of that, I caught up with Magnus Sherman, who's our editor responsible for Ukraine coverage, and discussed some of the names he's been looking at closely this week. 
Hi, Magnus. Nice to see you. Um, you said you were going to look at three companies in particular this week. What are they? Yeah, we're looking at uh, three companies from the, um, well, I guess the tech industry here in Russia. So not the traditional large coal or steel or gold producers. These are mo- very modern tech businesses. Uh, Yandex, which is comparable to Google. They also have a, 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 a um, car uh, hire business similar to Uber. Um, then we have Oson, which is a Russian uh, version of Amazon and VK company uh, which is which uh, focuses on uh, social media these all have uh, dollar debt uh, in convertible bonds very very low coupons of around 1% um but they got into trouble immediately after the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine because their shares were delisted from their stock exchanges in uh, New York and London And this delisting uh, triggered a delisting event, and that gave creditors a put option. So the creditors can now say to the companies, you need to pay me at par, um, and negotiations are now ongoing around this. And what has the company's uh, responses been so far? Yeah, they got advisors on, uh, involved immediately and started uh, talking with uh, creditors around options. As we understand it, it'll be something like uh, a menu offering either um, cash back to the investors and then and then leave, um, or extend into a new bond. Um, but no details have been out for any of these companies yet. Um, and of course, they are facing uh, a, a put option where they actually need to, to repay at par. But there's a few complications here. VK uh, is considered very close to the Russian state. Uh, some of the founders are very close to central uh, people in the central administration. And that's been reflected in the bond price, which is around seven cents now. Um, for Osan and Yandex, they were always considered um, more sort of modern standalone businesses, leaning less on the state and the politicians. But lately, their uh, CEOs have also been sanctioned by the West, um, but their bonds are sort of more closer to the to the 50s, so considered um, less toxic by Western investors. Um, but in terms of options here, you could you could cash out. You can't do that for all of it, of course. Um, but another option is to extend the existing debt into a new bond. The problem with that is that OFAC in the U.S. has issued new regulation banning all U.S. persons, so that's you know funds and uh, banks, um, from making new investments into Russia. And you could consider extending or rolling your existing debt into a new bond, a new investment into a Russian company, and that would put you in breach of uh, U.S. sanctions, which of course is a, is a major headache no one wants to take. So there's uh, there's that. Um, on top of that, um, asset sales has also been complicated because OFAC again has banned U.S. persons from uh, doing M&A work with Russians. So you can't sell an asset, um, which is exactly what's happening with some of these companies that are trying to buy and sell sell assets. Um, so it's not, not really clear at this point if advisors will be able to do that without breaching US sanctions. Interesting stuff. Thanks, Magnus. Thank you. UK consumer lender Amigo is going to be a familiar name to anybody who follows the goings-on in the English courts. The company's been back in the news recently, and I spoke to our legal reporter Connor Lovell about it, asking him when he thinks they'll be able to start lending again. Well, last week the company succeeded in getting court approval for its second attempted scheme of arrangement. This has opened the door to a resumption of lending. The consumer loans company was effectively forced to stop making loans in November 2020. However, the new scheme is not the end of the story. 
While it addressed the burden of customer compensation claims arising from historic mis-selling, there are two more hurdles to pass. The first of these is a successful rights issue of at least £15 million within 12 months. The issue will dilute shareholders and the money will be used to recapitalise the business. There was some opposition at the sanction hearing from retail investors. Um, they objected to the capital raise being used to fund the new business. However, the group of retail investors represented only about 9% of shareholders, so the judge was satisfied that there is a realistic prospect that the share issue will succeed. The second issue is the Financial Conduct Authority. Um, They have to give the green light to Amigo to restart lending within nine months. The FCA FCA continues to investigate Amigo's mis-selling practices, which may result in a fine being levied. The judge said that while, the FCA, that while FCA approval is far from certain, there is a real and substantial prospect of it happening. OK, and why do you think the second scheme succeeded while the first was thrown out? Well, the new scheme was explicitly designed to counter the deficiencies identified by the judge last year. The largest of these is the issue of the relevant alternative. Last time, the judge was not convinced that the alternative to the scheme was an insolvency. This time, the judge was satisfied that Amigo is balance sheet insolvent and would go into administration if the scheme failed. Another concern was that ordinary creditors who uh, are individuals who took out loans with Amigo lacked proper financial and legal advice. Uh, This time around, that was remedied by the work of an independently advised creditor committee, which was paid for by Amigo. This time, the position of the FCA was also key. The FCA did not appear in court to oppose the scheme, as it did last time, Um, the FCA considered the last scheme unfair because it left shareholders relatively unscathed relative to the redress claimants. This time, however, shareholders face a significant dilution of 95% of the holdings, which ultimately allowed the scheme to go ahead. Okay, thanks, Connor. Thanks, Richard. On Thursday, the 9th of June, Reorg is hosting a webinar to discuss Shanghai's reopening after a month-long lockdown to contain the spread of COVID-19. Our distressed debt researcher, Catherine Shi will share her experience living and working through the lockdown, the outlook of the reopening, and takeaways from the front lines of reporting on the real estate sector. Jung Guan Tan, director of Reorg Asia Credit Research, will present real estate-related statistics and trends. You can find out more information on our website. On the 14th to the 16th of June 2022, our team will be heading to Barcelona for the Global ABS Conference, where Senior Director Ben Kovachka is speaking on the FinTech Advancements Panel. The annual event provides insight on the latest trends and updates on regulatory developments, emerging asset classes, products and geographies. If you're also attending the conference and would like to speak to a Reorg team member, email your account representative or marketing at reorg.com. Rio will also be at the AFMI Paris Seminar, organised in collaboration with White and Case, which will highlight the key trends, opportunities and challenges that this year is likely to bring to Europe's leveraged finance market. The event will take place on the 16th of June at White and Case's Paris offices. More information on all of the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.